Greetings, everyone. And welcome to Rolling with Disadvantage, the D&D podcast where we won't be playing D&D. As always, I'm your host, Tyler. Tiny Till takes the tea. I'm working on my mouth exercise. Tiny Till takes the tea. Unique New York. Unique New York. Yes. Red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. Yellow lead better. What? What? Yellow lead better. Oh, lead better. That's a song that our friend Jesse loves. Argue, debate, and scream into that void. Oh, God! About various aspects of D&D 5th edition. Feel free to join the conversation by tweeting us at RWD Podcast. Yeah, my name is Jesse, and I love Pearl Jam. Yes. Yes, he does. Uh, Hi, everybody. We're here still. We weren't sure last week. We'll see what happens after tomorrow. Last week, we weren't sure. We're here. Mm. Today is dawn of the final day. Yep. God, I hope tomorrow's just a normal day. I know, right? Isn't it amazing how low the bar is? <laughs> normal. Every day is just... Can it just There's... be like... Like like 2013. If a day could be like any day there, <laughs> then no we'd be civil set. civil uprising. Yeah, no... Um, begin, like, you know, a year ago, around a year ago, like the beginning of World War Three, almost, right? Yeah. Lots of wildfires in Australia. Man, 2020 sucked. Uh, yeah, but you go back to like 2014, 2013. It was like... Such simple times. It's kind of normal days, you know? 2011 had Bin Laden get killed. So that was like a... That was like up a day right there. It's not a bad day. That was not a bad day. Not a bad day. Depending on who you are, some people in the world might say it was. If know. you were Bin Laden, it was not a good day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like generally speaking, there are other people in that grouping that we could that probably, you know, should have been gotten before Bin Laden, but he's at he was at the top. He, I mean, I don't really know enough about military intelligence to know who the best targets are to take out and prevent well, wars mine was not happening. a military statement. Uh, mine was a statement of the Saudi Arabian government funded 9-11. Yeah, That's but, just a I mean, factual thing that we all know, and no well, one does anything about it. It's hard to fight an entire government without starting a war, I think is what I'm trying to say. I guess. So it's like, yeah, we could either actually deal with the people who who caused 9 Whatever. We're not going to talk about 9-11. <laughs> Jet fuel can't melt steel memes. Well, you know it can. Hmm. Changing a spell to acid. All right, listen. That works every time. You, know, you want to talk about my thing first? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I think it makes sense. I don't know. It works. I you you had asked last week about me making magical items and magical artifacts, and I just kind of offered some generic uh, advice. Mm-hmm. So you and I were going back and forth this week about a custom spell, a homebrew spell that I was working on a cantrip. I'm always, I'm always interested in making cantrips great again. And have they been bad at some point? You brought up a point in our conversation that almost everybody has a bunch of cantrips they don't use. Yes. Right. Yes. You uh, say you you know four cantrips. Name you know two that you use. Exactly. Yeah. No. Right. I you mean use two like. Like the, your offensive cantrip, you know, you'll have like Firebolt and you'll have like Barely Dying. Yeah, I mean, depending on who you are, you know, um, you'll have 
thaumaturgy or prestidigitation, light or dancing lights. But you everybody know. has dark vision, so you don't even need light. Exactly. And that's the thing. And that's why it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to make a beacon for people to find me then. So I've always been trying to make not a healing cantrip, but something that like falls into that category, you know? That's really hard. I think that's probably the that's like the holy grail of cantrips, in my opinion, is making a a, a cantrip that can heal. There used to be one, right? Not in fifth edition. No, in three point five, they weren't cantrips. Wasn't there a zero level spell that healed one hit point? Yeah, they were called something else for divine spells. They weren't cantrips. They were. Um, I think everything was just zero level spells, wasn't it? Arcane arcane level zero spells were cantrips. Divine ones were something else. I could, okay, I could look well, it up. Whatever. Um. But I, I recall being able to sit for hours to heal somebody once. Divine level zero spells, D and D three point five. Horizons O R I S O N S. You know what? Now that you say that, that sounds that sounds accurate. Or Orison. Perfect. Orison. 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 Yeah. So that that was a divine level zero spell back in the day. Anyways. That's one I'm trying to figure out. But one that I think we might have figured out is after talking about all the, the sorcerer meta magic and this the wizard school of the scribe having the ability to change the energy type of a spell like in your spell book or spend sorcery points, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was a cantrip that you could cast to modify the next spell you're going to cast yes. or whatever? Yes, much akin to true strike giving you advantage. And that's kind of what I was thinking about, right? Was melee spellcasters casting smite or, you know, whatever. Yeah, branding blazing. smite. Yeah. Blazing, yeah. You know, so shoestring tying smite, whatever. I started with thinking it was a... I'm going to put the spell description on the Twitter so people can see it. But my initial thinking was bonus action, cantrip, you know, targeting you. The next spell you cast before your next turn, you can change the energy type accordingly. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that it would be fixed changes. Like I could change cold and ice back and forth. I could change thunder and lightning back and forth. I could change psychic and force back and forth. You know, like that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And you disagreed. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, I don't. I didn't like the idea of it just being a bonus action. It, you know, it felt it felt too powerful as a bonus action. Um, just like I said before, true strike is an actual action. If you want that advantage, you got to pay the cost of time to do so. Uh, so there has to be some cost to being able to do that cool effect. Otherwise, people will just do it all the time, willy nilly, for no reason. So I think there has to be a purpose behind it. But you suggested making a reaction. Yes, because uh, uh, I think reactions, especially for a spellcaster, are much more valuable. Uh, whereas a fighter only gets it, you know, in melee combat. If somebody leaves their threat in range, uh, you know, a spellcaster will typically have shield, counterspell, you know, things that are actually reactions, feather fall, you know, these kind of things that are really lifesavers depending Hellish on what's rebuke. happening. Yeah. Uh, so if you're willing to give that up, then I could see the ability to just change your damage type to be worth it. So I like that thinking also because such a spell 
right? A cantrip reaction also expands your action economy options mm-hmm. instead of them being limited, right? Yes. Like you talk about a fighter only gets the opportunity attack, right? So it's always good to have another essentially arrow in the quiver of a certain action type. Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, for example, we have a rogue in the party now. His turn, every turn, is attack, reload. Even though Rogue yep. has some other bonus action options, none of them are particularly useful. So it would be nice to have other things that he could do. As a note, it's always mean to give a Rogue a crossbow. I didn't... He wanted it. Mean. Mean, mean, mean. He chose a crossbow. <laughs> I didn't do that. He chose a crossbow, and then I made a crossbow. It's not my fault. Um, So, it, so the spell becomes a reaction. Mm-hmm. And... It becomes fixed in one energy type after our discussion. So I have a cantrip that says, as a reaction, when you deal damage with a spell using an energy type, you know, whatever, you can change it to cold. Yes. And so my version cantrip for each type. Yeah, right. You have a cold one, an acid one. So you wouldn't know all of them. But if you, uh, in my in my spell description, not spell description, in the spell, yeah, spell description, the the certain, the classes that could learn this cantrip were typically affiliated with cold in some way. Mm-hmm. Or they were really deep in knowledge, right? Like circle of the uh, whatever Arctic, right? Druid yeah. mm-hmm. could learn this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but my, I felt that and i didn't really discuss this with you before i added it on there why not make cantrips great again and as you leveled up it would also add cold damage to the tune of 1d6 and then two and then three at the most mm-hmm. and you were very very against adamant that. against this yes because cantrips themselves already level up so if somebody were to combine both the cantrips it would make it more powerful than like a second or third level spell, which I find ridiculous. How do you figure? Okay, uh, we'll say just fifth level. Your fifth level caster, you have Firebolt. Your Firebolt already does 2d10. Add another d6 to it, you know, that gives you what, a three to 26 range? Right. You know, compared to uh, Guiding Bolt, a first level spell that you actually have to spend a spell slot on does 46. So that's four to 24. Your Firebolt is inherently better than a guiding bolt. I don't know. 40, I just don't like that 44, idea. and also gives somebody advantage of the next attack. 46 with advantage. 46, rather, right? Yeah. And doesn't eat your reaction. No, but it does eat a spell slot, which is a much more limited resource. That's true. It does. Um, so I was I was adding the damage on because I, I like the notion that it, like you are so involved in that element that it actually gets better. So my final version of it, because I thought that was, I thought you were wise with the firebolt example, was that it just adds one or two and eventually three cold damage as part of the reaction. So it's like uh, enhancing a spell. Yeah, instead, like a spell of, instead of me being a fighter with a plus one weapon, yeah, I could use my reaction to add plus one to the but spell. But don't spellcasters already get plus one focus? Is focus again, high. this is this is ter- essentially Let's converting see. a reaction 
to yes. one damage, converting so, your reaction to two damage. So yeah, so what you're equating then is the value of a reaction to damage and the ability to change elemental subtypes. Right. Do you subtypes. think if I'm a if I'm a spellcaster, I take such a cantrip which we've which I've named uh elemental exchange inspired by your original idea, but then I was looking up mm -hmm. synonyms for, for yeah. switching things out. Um if I'm a spellcaster and we're fighting other spellcasters, it's clear to me that I should probably save my reactions, mm -hmm. right? But if we're fighting a big old brute, say a uh, red dragon or a fire elemental, this is perfect. I can I can start getting in cold damage and tack on just a little bit more yeah. every turn because my reaction is otherwise useless. I'm not going to be using opportunity attacks. Uh, if it's going to hit me, it's going to hit me. Shield's probably not going to save me, mm -hmm. and you know those kinds of things. So that that was my rationale. What I like it for is somebody that very much wants to specialize in an elemental type but doesn't want to get stuck in that one fight. We talked about this before um, with like uh, Circle of Wildfire Druids. You know, you want to do all the fire damage you can, but you don't want to be stuck in that fight where you're fighting a lava monster and literally unable to hurt it. This right. is a perfect opportunity to give you an out. Right. And I think that was what I was really going for was having a, a cantrip that that gives your, your big spells especially. You know, I'm level five and I get fireball, right? Mm -hmm. Level five? Yeah. That's my big offensive spell. When I'm fighting a fire elemental, it's like, God damn it, I wish I had lightning bolt, right? Mm -hmm. But instead, I, I thought ahead and I took a cantrip to make my fireball more versatile. Yes. Now, the problem Ball with lightning. this is, is if people are playing with cantrip versatility and they can just swap yeah, this yeah. out all the time. Uh, well, yeah. So that's, so that's kind of it to give everybody an insight into the process of me making a, a cantrip, right? Which is, I feel like cantrips are a great way to, to practice making spells because they can either be incredibly good mm -hmm. or just total waste of time, trash money, nothing. That's what I was going to say. I think this is a perfect example for people to learn from. Start small. You know, don't make a ninth level spell to start. Yeah. Ma make a cantrip. See how that goes. Play it. Well, you know, balance it. And then make a first level spell. And then, you know, just and understand what the trade-offs are and, you know, what you're really giving up to use this cantrip and if it's worth it or to use this third level spell, you know, compare it to other third level spells and just, you know, don't stop tweaking. And I think that's something right. you're very good at. And there's at. a lot of cantrips to compare against. But that's my point is some of those cantrips are prestidigitation mm -hmm. where 99 times out of 100, it doesn't do anything and one time of 100 it's super fun it's the greatest thing yeah i make all the windows close you know yeah. or thaumaturgy i make my eyes glow and the ground shake you know it, it it has nearly a zero effect on anything but at the same time if i made a can if i made you know if, if it didn't exist and i made eldritch blast everybody like wow that's great because mm -hmm. it is yeah it's very but good. the moment i make a cantrip that says okay restore one hit point yeah in the game I break I've broken the game. Yes. Right? Dying is no longer a problem unless except in like incredibly fringe circumstances. Especially if I'm a, a light cleric or something as bonuses to healing, my cantrips are just are banging people out. Each one know. of those cantrips would be three then, yeah, because it's two plus spell level, spell level zero. Right. Damn. So if it it's all you need to break the game is a cantrip that does something that it's not supposed to do. How about heals one life 
to them, but takes one life from you. Like it's a basic sa- life transference. Because it, it removes Spare the Dying as yeah. a cantrip. Right? Uh-huh. Um, and it essentially gives me the opportunity to change what spells I take that are leveled, right? I don't need yeah. cure wounds anymore. I just take this and I uh, give you one hit point. You're back on your feet. Yep. You know, a, a cantrip that restored, that gave temporary hit points might be something. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, I've been playing, uh, I think we talked about Celasta. Uh, yeah. I think, yeah, we did. Um, there actually is a cantrip that gives temporary hit points. It's essentially false life, but in cantrip form, instead of a D4 plus four or whatever it is, you just get three. You get three temporary hit points that last for a minute. That would be that would be good. So. Just, a, just a, a shield, right? Yep, so I always... battle starts, bam, three temporary hit points. Let's go. I think about, um, I use the reference a lot because I played it for a long time. World of Warcraft had, you know, first level spells for like priests, which were clerics. They had a, a shield, power with shield. You could just throw it on somebody, it would absorb X amount of damage, and then it would go away. Mm-hmm. You would cast that any time you could, because that was just like free life. But alternatively, other casters who didn't have shield types would have heal over time spells, where I cast it on you, and every six seconds you would gain life. Which, that could be a totally valid cantrip, right? It doesn't work right away, mm-hmm. but like... It's kind of like you know, healing spirit. Right. I, I target you... And at the end of your next turn, you gain one life. Yeah. Right. Like that. That's actually a pretty good idea. I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> but see, the problem is out of game, uh, out of combat situations where suddenly, okay, that's fine. Now I'm getting, you know, ten hit points a minute. I'm getting hundred hit points every, you know. Well, yeah. Hour. He needs work. Yes. So I'm working on these series of cantrips. I'll share an image of it so you can all see what I'm thinking my elemental exchange but you had a spell you wanted to talk about yeah so ran into an issue a classic. and i i know what the ruling is i don't necessarily disagree with it but at the same time i don't like it so, so I was, you are the samuel l jackson meme i understand the council has made a decision but i'm going to ignore it yeah there you go um so playing in the game last night Dude's in trouble. Uh, he casts freedom of movement on himself. Non-concentration spell. Sure. To get out of sticky situations. Wonderful. And then he polymorphs himself. Okay. The question then became, does the freedom of movement that was on him carry over to his polymorph self? Yes. And the answer is yes. Of course it is. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I know the answer is Yes. I'm I, I'm pretty sure Mike Merle's way back in the day confirmed it, like back at the start of fifth edition, but I don't like it. Why not? It it feels it feels wrong. Like like I it, let's say that I throw that I throw uh, somebody else throws a shield of faith up on me, and somebody else throws haste on me, and then I turn into uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Uh, yeah. it, that that's just. You, I just they're called buffs. Yeah. They're buffs. I I hate, but I hate that they. Hmm, I hate that they stay with you in another form. Like you lose your physical stats, you lose your mental stats, you lose everything about you. You are now this creature, except all these spells that were on your person before. Well, those aren't part of you. Those are magic. 
Well, I mean, yes. Those are those are just floating around. If I cast False Life on myself, yeah, right, I gain temporary hit points, mm-hmm. and then I polymorph myself. I would still have the temporary. Hit points. I know, and I don't like that. Like, I get it. I understand the answer. I just don't like the answer. Huh. Interesting. I'm trying to think of like um, if I. So we we actually this came up in our in our game last week. If you are polymorphed. Yeah. And then petrified by a basilisk. Uh-huh. And you fail, fail, and you become stone. Does that end the polymorph, et cetera, et cetera? And the answer is no, you're just stone now. Yes. Pe- petrified, petrified trumps polymorph. You're polymorphed as that thing to turn to stone. That's it. Until the polymorph ends. You're just, no, you're still, you're just stone now. Who said that? Did you get an did you get an answer on that? Yes. Crawford came back to you for that one. No, I found it. Oh, okay. Says who? That I I can go back and look, but it was a week ago. Okay. But I didn't hear the, this answer, and I don't agree with condition this condition Doesn't care about polymorph. You are petrified. Yeah, but polymorph has a time limit. It ends. This isn't true polymorph. This is polymorph. It ends. Yeah, but the, the petrified condition doesn't care. You are stone. It wasn't clear if you shapeshift back to your other form, but you are stone. Okay, see that? I <laughs> s- see see I agree with <sighs> So here's so this is it this is the exact same conversation. Petrified it's, it, in reverse, is a exactly. condition, right? It's a magical thing on your person. It doesn't care what form you're in. So when the polymorph happens or doesn't happen, you're stone. Are you trying to find something? I mean, yeah, I, mean, I want I want the answer. This is the I could go back and I could look at it. I, this is the answer. We can't we're not just going to sit here in silence while go you ahead, research. Go ahead. Go ahead. We do this all the time. What are you talking about? We're 22 minutes in. We could take a break. Anywho. You want to take a break and look it up? Yeah, take, take a break. We'll come back and we'll finish it up. <laughs> okay. Polymorph. That's the podcast everybody. We'll be right back. A petrified creature is transformed along with any non-magical object it is wearing or carrying into a solid, inanimate substance, usually stone. The creature is incapacitated, can't move, speak, unaware of its surroundings, and some other technical stuff. But its hit points don't drop to zero. Correct. So when it when time runs out, it would just revert. So you're, but or the stone figure would turn into a stone humanoid. That, that I'd is, accept because the condition is carrying over to the person. Right. That, that I is accept. The, that is an, uh, one of the readings of it that I found. You are still petrified, but instead of being a huge giant crab, yes, you are an elf now. Yes. So hopefully, okay. Or. You're still a huge giant crab, but the moment petrification ends, then you would change back to an elf. Like you're stone, but I cast greater restoration on you because I know, oh, that's a that's a petrified guy. The uh-huh. moment that happens, zoop, you just go back to an elf. Hmm. <laughs> I don't like that one as much as the stone creature just turns into a smaller stone creature. That one's more fun, I think. I, I think that one just in my mind makes more sense somehow. None of it makes sense. It's magic. No, polymorph doesn't make sense. We've been over this a million yes. times. There's 
Let's move on. Let's, Let's move, move on. on. Let's move on. I just, I get that conditions carry over from polymorph to non-polymorph and vice versa. It just doesn't always, I don't like, it feels wrong sometimes, but it's all good. Well, here's the, here's the, the skill, right? Polymorph into a shape shifter. Well, I know you only polymorph into beasts. That way you're immune to polymorph. True polymorph into a shapeshifter. So you're immune to polymorph. I think it's still dispel it. No. Stop. <laughs> polymorph into things that are immune to petrification. There. There you go. Is that a thing? Spend your life as a basilisk. I mean, aren't aren't golems uh don't they have immutable form? Yes. Yeah, a lot they, of like, a lot of creatures do. Changed. Yeah. Become immutable a gelatinous form. cube for the rest of your life. Live immutable the simple form. The life. The golem is immune to any spell or effect that would alter its form, which I feel like... I'd include petrification in there. Would include petrification, right? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, because you're changing your substance. Mm-hmm. Huh, interesting. Yeah, because you can't turn a flesh golem into stone because you, just... you can't use the flesh to stone spell becomes on a, stone a, golem. On a, on a flesh golem. And Wouldn't you can't that be really u- funny? What? It just becomes a stone golem? Oh. It would have a very confusing life. They use stone, then you turn stone to mud, and then it becomes a mud golem. Are there mud golems? I don't know. Well, there are now. There should be, right? There should be a golem out of any constructible material. Is mud there used constructible? To be dragon golems, glass golems, um, Dude, grass golems. There used to be prismatic dragons. Those things were great. Uh, yeah. Well, a mud golem. See, here's where your thinking is probably stuck. Doesn't necessarily mean it's wet mud. It could be dried mud. Isn't that just dirt? Technically. <laughs> <laughs> that it actually reminds me of um uh Firefly, the show. There was actually uh the city that uh Jane Cobb, you know, was the savior of was the mud town where they just literally harvested mud for buildings. And they made like bridges and shit out of mud. Well, mud's a good building material because when it's you can move it, it's malleable, sculpts it, and when it dries, it's pretty packed solid. And they drink mother's milk. I remember that. Instead of mother's milk? Yes, exactly. That's a it stupid was... fucking pun, and I'm glad Firefly was canceled. How dare you, sir? Let's move on. I watched the first episode of Firefly. Not good. We shouldn't. We, we don't need to start this now. That's a different podcast. So <laughs> uh, well, that would actually be a great podcast. All the things that I love and that you hate and vice versa done next episode of this show we're taking a hard left turn we're not talking about D more anybody we're talking about things that i hate that you love and vice versa oh my god that's that's 100 episodes right there starting with what firefly firefly <laughs> starting with the fact that i think things can be objectively rated good or bad and you, oh i talk with you. the next segment next what, what are we talking about we're supposed to be talking about mazes or riddles. Let's go. Let's go. Because I'm fired up and I'm I'm about to have an angry conversation. Here we I go. I think we'll just stick with one of these. We'll try to just do one of them. I think they kind of go hand in hand. They do. Uh, but we're, what's what's my time? We've got we've got some time. So I want to start with the mazes thing because I sent you an angry GM yes article yes about why mazes suck yes and you said you couldn't get through it. I, I I've tried to read their stuff. I don't know if it's a he or she, so I don't want to. I think it's a he. I think his name's David. Is that is that right? I do not recall. Um, but I'll just say they for right now because I'm not sure which. Um, 
but I've tried reading their stuff and my problem isn't that it's always uber negative and defeatist the entire time. I get it. He's the angry GM. That's it. That's their shtick. I apologize to the set of him. Um, but my problem is that they just reiterate the same point over and over to fill their page, to fill their article. They don't say new things. Like in that article you sent me, the first thing was mazes suck, but here's how to make them better. And then they went on for seven paragraphs about why mazes suck. Even though from the outset, we all agree they suck. <laughs> well, I think you missed the thesis in the beginning. Wasn't that mazes suck and here's how to fix them. It was mazes suck. It's impossible to fix them. So what you're going to get at the end of this is probably not going to be a maze. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I think you missed the thesis no. of the entire article. There shouldn't be a thesis for the fucking article. This isn't an 100-page doctoral thesis. This is a all, dude writing angry shit online. All, all argumentative pieces should have a thesis, regardless oh of God. its length. That's my thesis okay. right there. My Anyways, thesis is keep it simple, stupid. I'll share Knights in Service of Satan. Uh I'll share a link to the article. It's from a while ago, I think. But mm-hmm. the conclusion is essentially what we've already said. Mazes suck for a variety of reasons. Uh and if you're gonna try to make mazes work, what you're gonna get at the end is probably not gonna be a maze. Um so you know, why do mazes suck? There's a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh and that is <clears throat> excuse me. It's not really going to be the way you think it's going to be on paper. Because you're looking at a maze on paper, you get to see the whole thing, you get to draw the line, da 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 But when you're in a maze, like a corn maze, right, in a field, mm-hmm. that experience is fundamentally different. You don't get to see the whole maze, you don't get to backtrack and sort of see where you've been. You have to just kind of remember or be marking or be mapping where you've been. So it becomes more of an exercise in memory right and then becomes the point and then comes the point where navigating the actual maze in a game becomes a series of just choices mm-hmm. all right you come to an intersection do you go left or right come to an intersection do you go left right or straight so unless you are implementing things that break up the monotony the maze is just another obstacle that players will inevitably conquer so why even bother have it at all Yes, yes. And I think that's that's the point that the writer of the article continued to make is that there is no real challenge, so why do it? Right. And why, I completely agree. Why make your player make a skill check for something that they can do? Yeah. Right. Why make them send... The, if there's nothing else going on in the maze and it's just a maze for maze's sake, I will make it through eventually... So what the fuck? Yeah. It's silliness. So the the conclusion, not really the conclusion, but the suggestions is that you need to add something for there to be tension mm-hmm. in a maze. Yes. So the last time we had a maze in our games was when you were elves. I remember the maze, but I don't remember the campaign that we were doing it in. But I do recall the Minotaurs. Um I think we were actually still the Goblinoids because I'm fairly certain that I was Firecrotch at the time. Yes. There was a maze, and essentially it was timed. It, you went in, and you had to make it out 
in X amount of time, or you'd be just stuck there forever. And I feel Meanwhile, like... Meanwhile, there were enemies in the maze. I feel like so, Pebbles like, the Chunky got through it with no issue. I think you just ran, because you were a monk. Yes. Just, just ran down as many hallways as possible. Even if you found enemies, you're just like, I'm going to go a different way. While other people were kind of fought the enemies off, and somebody found the exit, and you all kind of moved that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of a coordinated right. team effort. Yes. Uh, which the whole goal for me was to make the maze part as short as humanly possible. Um, and the whole goal of you guys was to use your skills essentially to succeed in yes. said maze. Yep. And it works great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it was the greatest maze in the world. I don't think it was the worst maze in the world. But it was a matter of making it go quickly and it making it intense. purpose. Yeah. Serve its purpose. Um, I like the notion, though, that a maze isn't a challenge. It's not a puzzle. It's not a thing. It's terrain. Exactly. Completely right? agree there. It's the same thing. It's a graveyard. It's a castle. It's whatever. It's a maze. So what belongs in a maze? Monsters. Mm-hmm. Treasure. Some sort of challenge. Traps. Yeah. Clues as to how to get out of the maze. Mm-hmm. Secret rooms. I would right? actually love you to talk about, and I know we're kind of not going into it, kind of are because they go hand in hand. The last maze that we did was in the Miserable World campaign. That was more of a puzzle than a maze, and I thought yeah. that was perfect. Yeah, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. Being more of a puzzle. No, no, just the, but it was, it was a maze. But it wasn't like go left or right because the rooms were like shifting into other rooms or that you were oh, teleporting oh. to other rooms. In the in the the hag's cave. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, brilliant. I think that was perfect. That 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 was inspired by a classic maze in The Legend of Zelda. The first the first game. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Where you yeah. go into the forest mm-hmm. and you had to, essentially you had to move the correct sequence to get through it. And if you went the wrong way, it set you back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right? So you'd enter a room. The room would be different than the room you were in. But if you went the wrong direction, it would kick you back to the front and you'd be like, oh, well, I've been in this room before. So I my my rules that I had written were simply... The party has to go back the way they came two times. Like mm-hmm. that was that was the logic. That was how you guys got through it. Yeah. So so you had to go to a new room, go back to the room you came from, and then go back again. And that was that was the magic. Like that was the illusion. Mm-hmm. And you guys accidentally did that. That that was all Dan. Like, I none of you said anything about it. No one no one intentionally did that. You're like, wait a minute, let's just go back that way. The room was different. Like, okay, let's just go back that way again. The room was different. It was just total, complete yes. accident coincidence. Yes. But I like the idea of of that kind of, you know, not blatant left, right, straight. It's, okay, you went this way. This is what you see. You can go anywhere you want. You go backwards. Oh, the room's not the same. What are you going to do now? You know, and stuff. That just, it felt like more of a challenge, even though we did get through it quickly. I think that was just blind luck. Which I well, think there should be some element to in a maze. There should be, but it's also important that the decision left, right, straight, back isn't based on nothing. 
Mm-hmm. So in this Angry Jam article, he mentions things like, oh, well, you're a dwarf. So you have stone cutting. You can you notice the change in elevation or whatever in the stone, which informs your decisions. Or the way that an elf might smell certain kind of like natural air coming from one way, right? Think about think about Gandalf in the Mines of Moria. He, he remembers the way. Oh, he remembers the way. No, it just smells less foul down here, right? I'm going to go that way. Mm-hmm. So it's important to have keys or in, or icons or clues or whatever somewhere so your choices aren't just, well, flip a coin. Not that you can't have that. That's totally valid to have a, a pick a path, right? Mm-hmm. But the players feel best doing a thing when their decision-making is informed. Yes, completely agree. So there's obviously... Um, the, the tension of just solving the problem, but I think the time element is very important. Mm-hmm. So the one way to do that is obviously have the maze, you know, go away or you get trapped or it fills up with water or whatever. So, so the actual maze itself goes away, but the other way is to have other things in there with you. The thing that I don't like, uh, I like, uh, obviously I like the tension. I like the, that there are threats in it. Um, they might even be replenishing threats, uh, whereby even if you kill this monster, it will regenerate el- elsewhere in the maze and you'll see it again later. I'm fine with that. I don't like putting a time constraint on the maze because I feel like that encourages metagaming too much. Because then it's not a matter of, you know, I, my character, want to figure out what I would do to get through it. It's me as a person saying, this is the fastest way to get through a maze because I've done these kinds of things before. It's a race to the end. Yeah. But it is a piece of terrain, right? And that's a valid way to get through terrain. Like, oh, well, this is a swamp. I don't want to be here, so mm-hmm. I'm going to run through the swamp. Yeah. So, But they, there's certain kinds of monsters that are better for a maze, for example. The obvious being the Minotaur because it can't it be lost, maze. right? Yeah. yeah. It's an ability. It has like intrinsic... brain or something? Yeah, something like that. Intrinsic labyrinth knowledge. I don't know. Yeah, they, they literally can recall perfect paths. Labyrinth Recall. Labyrinthine Recall. Minotaur can perfectly recall any path that's traveled. So it can't get lost. Yeah. It knows where it is. Yep. It knows where you are. Mm-hmm. But the other one that's referenced in this article that I liked a lot is like ghosts. Mm-hmm. They can like travel through world. the walls. Yeah. And they make it very hard to fight them. Mm-hmm. Right? So like you guys are sitting at an intersection like, oh, God, which way do we go? Hit and run attack from a ghost. Right? And it just, it would just be it would turn it from a terrain encounter to a kind of a survival encounter, but not fully a combat encounter because you don't get the opportunity to really yeah. fight. Yeah. You know, we've talked about it before. I just said it, Ghost Whale. That was the most tense hallway I've ever been in in my <laughs> history of playing D&D. And we were literally, just, it wasn't even a maze. It was just a hallway that we were walking down and Ghost Whale would come get us every once in a while. And the, the reason it was great is because there was a sound effect. Yeah. You and you knew hear... it was coming. But yes. there's, and there's it's a five-foot hallway. There's nothing you can do to avoid it. You either run backwards, forwards, or you stand still and hope that it goes in front of you or behind you. God damn it, <laughs> that was funny. It was great. That was like that was like seven, eight years ago. That was uh, you know, we're in 2021 now. That was yeah, eight years ago. Eight or nine. Yeah. Fucking wild how far how much time travels. Like soon to be ten, so I think that was probably twenty eleven or no, because I was in I was uh, in grad school, so I was think. in a different state. 
So I think July, it was it was 2013 at the earliest. Okay, then it was at the very early part of 2013 because I left Cincinnati in 2013, like midway through. And I was still there when that happened. I recall that distinctly. So there are other um, there are other ways to like build a maze. I just kind of want to mention at the end. In that there's a I forget I actually should have something I found some like thing I found on the internet mm-hmm. was a kind of mechanic of building a maze like like you know. I'm a, we're all we're all surrounded the table, right? We're all sitting there. Yes. I have skillfully drawn out a map of the maze. Mm-hmm. How do I reveal it to you? I actually love, and I've seen it elsewhere, but you were the first person to do it and not commercialize it, and you fucked up there. The scroll that was perfect. Right. Yeah. A a a, a map on a scroll that you can roll and unroll as you navigate through it. Yeah, it was it was brilliant. I know. I should have made a million dollars. You should that because I I know there's a company that makes those, and I guarantee you they've made a million dollars. Yeah, well, mistakes were made. Yeah. So you can right. It's kind of a challenge to reveal a maze because you don't want to reveal the whole thing. You don't want to reveal the paths that are adjacent and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. So on roll twenty, for example, where you have the fog of war uh, t- ability, where you can hide and reveal spaces, that works great, right? But it gets even complicated when players start splitting up and you're moving areas around, like trying to hide or reveal certain things, but it can still get really, really weird. Mm-hmm. There is a um, a method of maze building that I've never tried, but I'm kind of curious about, where it is almost like it's almost like procedurally generated, but essentially a deck of cards where you oh, yeah. flip over mm-hmm. the next section of the maze. So, so you would. You wouldn't even have to have the maze prepared in advance. So you'd be like, okay, I lay them all out as tiles almost and flip them over. So as you uh, explore it. My uh my DM on Mondays when we were still meeting in person had a maze just like that where the entire board was upside down except for the first part, and as you explored it, it revealed itself. Right. And you can flip them back over and then it just becomes a okay, do I do I, the party, remember what was there? It's like a game of memory at that point. Right, exactly. Which is essentially what a maze is, unless you're using, you know, the right hand on the wall strategy. Which is the best method. It's it's no, not. No matter the, what anyone says, it's foolproof. It's, it's not the most efficient method, though. It's just guaranteed to get you out, unless there is a false, uh, like what's yes. it called? Where it's a dead end loop. I forget what it's yes. called. Yeah. But there's some strategies even where essentially I take it's procedurally generated, but like random, where you flip over playing cards. And certain things dictate something else, right? Like, um, like diamonds mean there's a trap, or a picture card means a monster, right? Mm-hmm. Like those kinds of things. There's there's plenty of rules you can find online for this, and I kind of like that notion, especially thinking about games, you know, roguelike games with procedurally generated maps. Those are really fun, where you never really know what you're gonna find. So the maze becomes less of a brute force find my way through the maze, and more of a oh my god, I just have to survive until I get to the end of this maze. Yep. Great example of that is something like a game like Mage Knight, where all the tiles get placed out there as you go, and you have no idea what you're going to find until you get there. Right. So I think mazes can be cool. I like this article. You don't like the Angry GM. I feel that based on his writing style. Um, but but mazes. I'll share the article on Twitter again. I think what mazes he says is not incorrect. I just don't like the way that he writes it. They. Yeah. I apologize. I don't know. I, again, well, I think his name's David. 
I don't know. I can't. I haven't read a bunch of his stuff. Just a couple of things. He, she, they, whatever. All right, this went long enough that I'm saving puzzles. Puzzles for another time. And next week, we're going to talk about things that I hate that you love and vice versa. <laughs> All right. Make sure to subscribe and rate the show wherever you found it. Pretty sure we're on like every platform ever. We're out there. Um, follow us on the Twitter. I tweet sometimes. And feel free to send us topics that you want to hear about at rwdpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, we will see you next time. Till then. Thank you.